Welcome to Opinion Havers, a movie podcast for people with no notes. I'm Cody. And I'm Tyler. Tyler, what did we watch? Cody, we watched Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Correction. Heimer. You watched Oppenheimer. I watched Oppenheimer three times. All right, that's what you don't understand. It's been five months, all right? I've been preparing for this day i have an encyclopedic knowledge of this film shot for shot i know every line i know every trivia fact i mean you're not even ready you might as well turn your mic off my guy i got 60 minutes in my brain locked and loaded ready to go tyler do you want to tell us what oppenheimer's about it's about oppenheimer nailed it you're so good at these you know yeah, I know. World War Two, just just the gift that keeps on giving, you know. Why are we making movies about other things? You know. Uh, I mean, because everything else is boring. Movies I've right? seen about World War Two and the fallout of World War Two. It's like half the movies I've seen this year. You know. But if we're being honest, the amount of World War II movies versus non-World War II movies. Non-World War II is winning, and I don't understand why. That's what I want to know. It it doesn't make sense, and it makes you wonder, you know, who is this non-World War II lobby? How deep does this conspiracy go? Cody, here's the thing that you don't understand. All non-fiction movies are set in the same universe (laughs) everybody's out here like i want a new everything's got to be in a universe nowadays so i think i agree let's stop making non-fiction movies i think we have sucked that teat dry you know the non-fiction verse is just it's out of control you know there's too many storylines going on there's too many characters they're all connected like i don't how is someone supposed to keep track of all this yeah i mean like i i think we just need to do you know they've done it before we just need to do a clean wipe start again they got non-fiction movies and non-fiction tv shows non-fiction books like it's sad it's really sad they tapped the well yeah i mean they've been doing this for you know longer than any other universe you know like everybody's mm-hmm. everybody else they got the mcu fatigue mm-hmm. i'm out here saying i got i got the the real cu fatigue, mm-hmm. you know yeah what you think of this one though you know I give, me your, give me your hot take on oppenheimer okay pretty good pretty good a lot more florence Pugh boob than i thought i would ever get in any movie but here we are we are here. The pube, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> you know, I liked the movie. I saw it three times, and uh, I'm gonna be real. I'm, I'm I liked it a lot. You know, mm. I liked it a lot. Mm. You would, you would say that. I know, I know. But would you still like it, you know, if you knew that 
Christopher Nolan's uh, British brother was not involved in writing it. <laughs> it's one of those facts that delights me every time I hear about it. Is know? Christopher Nolan I... the American one and his brother's the yeah. British one? Or is the other Christopher one? Nolan is probably... But he was born the in American England. one. He's the American one, but when you look at him, you're like, you're probably British. But he, he is. Was, he's born in he's London. The American one. Went to yeah, school. Yeah, and he in made London. Dunkirk too, which is also like, which one? Weird for someone who's American. I mean, Jonathan looks American. Of the two of them, he looks. He looks like the cool. What's his name? What's the name of the guy that? Plays the guy from Frozen, you know, Gad, not Josh, not Josh Gad. Is Jonathan it Josh? Groff? Jonathan Groff. He looks like cool Josh Jonathan Gad Groff. Josh Gad is in Frozen. Yeah. But it's not Josh Gad here that I'm looking right. at. I'm, here's the thing, okay? I'm going to go out on a limb. Based on the schools they went to, I'm going to say Jonathan is the American sounding hmm. And Christopher is the British sounding one. And if it's the other way mm. around, then I don't know what's happening anymore because one of them, both born in London, one of them went to school in the U.S. It was like a parent trap England. thing, right? Where the parents split up and then took them to different countries. Like a Lindsay Lohan parent trap style scenario. And they met at summer camp and they had peanut butter Oreos. Uh, absolutely. Except I don't think that their parents split up. And they were just raised in both. And one of them just chose to be British. I mean, that is his right, you know? If Hilaria Baldwin can do it, then... I mean, aren't all English-speaking countries the same, you know? I like, I mean, really? I would... It doesn't matter if I say I'm from England or Canada or the U.S. or Australia or, you know, can I just... Don't you think I could pretend and I could get away with it? I would hazard... A to say that England has strayed far from the English-speaking world, you know? And they stray farther from it every day. You know? No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And they thought everybody would follow them, and we really haven't, so... They live on a sad, wet island, you know? Who was gonna... Who's going to follow their lead? You know? I live in New England, the better England, the one that they tried to abandon England for. And it sucks here. <laughs> and they and then you see like how cold and wet it is there in England. And you're like, I understand. But it sucks in New England. And they're like, so great. It's a paradise on Earth, you know? It's all foggy. It's got the rain. It's got traffic, apparently, in London. It's got everything you need, you know? It's got your mushed peas, your brown sauce, your fish and chips. Yeah, well, we got... They I mean, what about do we New have? England? French fries? No, they've got chips. What do we have? Chips? Oh. No, they've got crisps. I thought you were just describing New England. So you've no. described New England. What are you saying that England has? <laughs> no. Oh, is it? I mean, is that what it's like over there? You got? Do people eat mushed peas and put vinegar on their fries there? I think you'd get punched in the throat if you if you ordered mushed peas here. 
you know? Um, but you might get them, but you might get punched, and then you'd get your peas. Here's the thing, Cody. Here, they've got food, and it's pretty good. But I went to a seafood restaurant, let me tell you. I went to a seafood restaurant not long ago. A nicer one. A pretty nice one. I could see the ocean from my seat in the restaurant. Mm. You know, they were like, hey, scan this little thing. And it'll tell you exactly where your fish was caught. They were caught just like a little bit up north, up in the Canada. A little bay in mm. Canada. You know, that was where the one I ate was. It was a swordfish. Mm. Let me tell you right mm. now, Cody. Mm. It's all right, you know. It's all right. Seafood, it's all right. You gotta wear the little. Did they wear the little beanies there? Little fisherman beanies. The fish beanie. Did the fish wear the beanies? I don't know. I didn't see the whole fish. I don't know. I feel like the good seafood is the place where you go and you're like. This place is dirty and smells gross, and that's where the good seafood is, you know? Yeah, like I mean... a little stand at the beach or something, you know? Yeah, it probably would have been better. I mean, my wife, she, my wife, she liked the lobster that she got, you know? But I wasn't... I was like, I don't want to be that decadent. I want to reduce the swordfish population. <laughs> swordfish? Don't trust them, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... There aren't a lot of animals with just like built-in weapons like that, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, I got a sword on my face. It's unnatural. You know, shark bites you? They're a threat. Shark bites you, they're curious, they're hungry. A swordfish attacks people? Why? Oh, you see those people that get skewered by the swordfish? And they get the swordfish sticking out of there, and the swordfish is like flapping around. It's like, you know, it just feels like nobody won this fight, you know? Yeah. Just losers all the way around. That was just out of spite, you know? It's like, why are you doing this? Nobody knows. Yeah, a whole ocean of swimming. You had to come skewer me. Yeah. Well, Tyler, do you want to dive right in since I have copious notes and I saw this movie so recently? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sure, you know. um... Uh. What do we got? What's a what's a Cody hop in? I don't know. Hop in. They drive cars. Hop in the car, I guess. You know, hop in my forties era little car. You know, with the backwards doors. Let's take a train ride to Spoiler Town, New Mexico. Love it, Tyler. Which is in the USA. I was surprised I didn't have notes for this, and maybe I do. I just didn't label them, but like. The amount of times I saw this movie for me to not have notes anywhere about it is pretty impressive. I mean, it is impressive, and I would, I'm would i sitting here, and I'm going to tell you that I'm disappointed in you. Because you came out swinging hard on me. Like, you were the, so much better. And you're like, oh, I've seen it three times. Cody, Let's let's take a step back for a second. Let's take a step back. Let's look at the reality of the situation. One of us owns this movie forever. <laughs> and one of us will never watch this movie again. <laughs> and let's remember that facts. Those facts. You don't want to start this. You know, you don't want to start this 
you don't want to start a fight you're gonna lose you know you That's having what I'm, access what I'm to the movie you. because i bought it does not count as you owning it by the way <laughs> tyler i look i didn't want to do it and i wasn't gonna do it till you asserted yourself you didn't really watch this movie because you didn't see it in 70 millimeter film in IMAX. That's what you don't understand. If you didn't see it in one of the 23 participating IMAX theaters, you didn't really see it, you know? So really, I've seen this movie once, and you've seen it nuts, you know? But Cody, I live just an hour away from one of these theaters, all right? I'm here <laughs> experiencing it all the time. You're nowhere You're near you. any of them. All right. So which one of it. us is I'm better going. there? I'm going to start. I'm going to start because I have to tell my I have to tell a tale. Are you ready? I don't even have the timer. Doesn't matter. All right. Tyler, now let me tell you my story. I saw this movie in IMAX. Really, I saw it in IMAX, you know. I saw it here. I did Barbenheimer opening weekend. Friday started the day off with Oppenheimer. Great, great time. Got there late. Some dudes booked the seat on either side of me. So while the movie was starting, they were like, hey, do you want to switch seats with us so that we can all sit together? I was like, dude, I don't even care a little bit. And then I scooted over one. They were like, our seat's actually one further down. I was like, the whole row's open, guy. I don't. The movie is going. I can't hear the movie because you're telling me that I'm sitting in the wrong seat because you booked the wrongs anyway. It's fine. I saw the movie. I saw all but the first three minutes of the movie, you know? But I saw it. I did the barber, and it was great. You know, what a great day. And then I was like, you know what? I should see that again. So then I did it again. Don't worry. Don't worry. I showed up on time this time, and nobody made me move seats. And then I was like, it's not enough. I got to see this thing for real. I got to see what it's about, you know? I got to do it. And then I flew to California to see family and I was like I don't care what you people are doing this day in the evening I'm going to see Oppenheimer in IMAX 70 millimeter and they were like well there's a real nice IMAX theater down the road it's state of the art I'm like no it isn't because it's not in film and it's not the real deal I drove 40 minutes in LA to Universal Studios <laughs> It's at the theme park, all right? So you got to go in and you got to park at the theme park parking garage and you got to drive around for 10 minutes to find a parking. We just went up and down a parking garage full of cars, just full of cars for 10 minutes and finally found an empty spot. We ran over in there. We got in there. Boom. It was, it's taller. That's what you understand, all right? It's a lot of effort. It was like $30 to park there. Don't worry. They reimburse you. But then everyone got their reimbursement late. They were just giving people cash. <laughs> we're like, here you go. Here's cash money. It's like you saw it. Imagine that, but tall. All right? It's not wide. It's tall. All right? That's what you understand about this movie. You see it, and you're like, ooh, look how wide it is. No. That's not what Christopher Nolan. Forget it. That's not what Chris Nolan. We're on two-name basis still, but I can shorten this first, and that's how close we are. I flew across the country. I drove across the city of Los Angeles to see it tall, and I did it. I saw it tall. It's kind of cool, you know? Was it worth it? Hmm, I don't know. Who's to say, you know? 
but it was good. It was cool. It's taller. It's it's taller. Here's the other thing. <laughs> you see it, and it's like, you know, sometimes you see stuff in IMAX and LIMAX, whatever, and it's like some of the shots are taller. You know, most of the movies aren't shot in the full aspect. You know, and it was like that with the original with the IMAX theater too. I was like, not every shot was in the super tall format either. So it's like, what are we even doing? Why are we making a big deal about this format? If you're not shooting the whole movie in it, then I don't understand why it's a big deal, you know? But it was cool. Like, some of the images are kind of imposing. But I was also like, why not make it wider, you know? Why not just make it just as wide as it was tall? I have questions. If I ever sit down with Chris Nolan in a room, first off, I'm going to ask him, are you British? Second off, I'm going to ask him, why not make it wider too, you know? So, I loved this movie. I loved it so much I saw it three times. And it's sitting towards the top of my movie list of the year. And you know, just impressed. I'm impressed people saw it. I'm impressed it's making money. And um, I just think, look, Chris Nolan is out here making sci-fi movies and Batman movies. And he made Dunkirk. And I liked it all right, you know? And he made Tenet. And it was it was all right, you know? But this one, I feel like he's back at the top of his game. And it's it's good to see my friend Chris Nolan. Once again, two names. And um, it was good to see him at the top of his game. It was just cool to see him apply like sort of his non-linear narrative to a historical story like this in such depth. And to get him to use his pull as a director to make this story versus whatever other story he could have made. You know, he could have made another Tenet kind of deal, but he chose this. And a lot of people saw it. A lot of people resonated with it. I thought it was really, really, really well done. You know, great movie, really interesting, and uh, you didn't actually watch it. Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's my five minutes in a nutshell. All right, Cody, I'm going to have to cut you off there, you know, because I'm going to go into my my – my time here. Ready? Okay. Cody, let me tell you, last time, last weekend when I was having dinner over at Topher's house, all right, and we were talking about the film and his, you know, like, I asked him, you know, why why tall? Why no wide? And he said, because the people didn't understand Tenet. That's why. That's what he said. And I said, you know, I get it. Y'all doubted him, so he's, of course, he's going to make you drive. He's going to make you go across the country. He's going to make you park for $30 to feel like you're part of it. He's like, all you you L.A. people, you came at him. You're like, tenant, don't make no sense. So he's like, we're going to make a movie about a bomb, and I'm not, I'm barely going to show you the bomb. And you're going to pay outrageous amounts to see it and i said you're so wise mr c you know that's why that's another thing i call him call him c dog c dizzle you know topher you know all part of the names you know whenever we're hanging out on the weekends you know just chatting um you know and you know let me know when you uh when you ask him if he's british or not you know i'll be there i'll be there with the mop and the stretcher, Cody, because he's going to take you down so fast. Here's the thing, Cody. Let's talk about this film. This experience, okay? That, you know, you may have seen it tall, but I saw it, you know, where I owned it. And I saw it on OLED, you know? You don't know what that means, Cody. 
you've seen some things in OLED, but you haven't seen this OLED. So how can you understand what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, can we all agree on one thing, Cody? I feel like we can meld on one thing here, and that is that the scene at the beginning where he's like, oh, I'm going to poison my professor, and then he didn't. I'm like, that was weird. All right. <laughs> and then the movie moves on, and it never really comes back, to, and that doesn't come back up. It's just like, this is a fact of his life. It's one of those things where it's like, I feel like we could have brushed over that fact. I feel like that's not something that you needed to include in a movie, but they did it, and I felt like it was weird. But then they made a real like, I feel like I'd never seen this movie, but Cody, not this movie. I've seen this movie, but I never seen the movie about Stephen Hawking. Um, but I feel like it's very similar vibes because there's lots of like, let's have some ethereal music or uh, some 3D renders of the universe and then some slow zoom on his face. Like he's unraveling the secrets of the universe. And I was like, this, this is what that movie it was, wasn't it? About the Stephen Hawking. Uh, Stephen King, Stephen Hawking, right? Yeah, okay, nailed it. Except this one is Killian Murphy, who, as we all know, plays uh, that one dude in Peaky Blinders. Bet you didn't know that, Cody. <laughs> Bet you didn't know that. And so, see, it all comes back around, Cody, because you were sitting here, we're trying to figure out is Christopher Nolan British? That's why he cast Killian Murphy. To play an American when he's British or Scottish or Irish. What are they? What are they, Cody? Nobody knows. Why did he break the cups? Nobody understands why he broke the cups, okay? But we're here. He's making bombs. He's talking to... What is it? Einstein. That's his name. You know, they're shifting. They're going black and white. They're going not black and white. Oh, don't you love the black and white? Cody, don't you love a good black and white? Waiting for you to give me a nod or something. I feel like you're saying you hate black and white, but you like the black and white. There we go. Good. You know, they have... They really... Here's the thing. I don't know if you got got by this. I've seen a lot of people, they got got by this whole thing where they're like, I thought they were going to show it, and they were going to show the, a lot more of the bomb and reference the war a lot more. And they came in, they were like, let's not talk about the war. Let's not talk. Let's talk about the, the scientific politics. And let me tell you, Cody, thank goodness someone's out here addressing the politics of the scientific community. Because I'm out here from day one saying these people, vultures, Cody, vultures tearing at each other's throats all right they're out here they're, they're like look we got to put there he's out like we got to put them out in the desert so they don't tell nobody i'm saying put them out in the desert so that when they all kill each other you can easily clean it up right just scoop that sand over do it uh you know and then it's you know we're all good okay you know what i mean Tyler, you know, great work as always. Thomas Shelby, that's the name of the guy from Peaky Blinders. And you know, I know that. Never seen the show. You know, that's but, how much Peaky Blinders pops up in my feed. All right. That's what I, I want you to know that. Can I give you a I know fact? nothing about the show except that his name is Thomas Shelby. Did you right? know the fun fact about Thomas Shelby and Dave Batista? No. So Dave Batista on his thigh. Right on that upper thigh, right? He's got a tattoo that says gentleman gangster. And he, cause he's like, that's how I always have seen myself. 
a gentleman but a gangster <laughs> and he found a picture of shelby boy or what you know shelby thomas shelby right is that his name Killian murphy as his character <laughs> he took it to his tattoo artist and he's like i want this but can you make it look less like Killian murphy <laughs> because he's like i don't want a tattoo of Killian murphy i just want like the vibe of this picture this like promo image from the show he got mm-hmm. the tattoo the tattoo artist changed it a little bit so it's not obviously just copied from the promo image the first mm-hmm. person who saw it is like oh that's Killian murphy <laughs> <laughs> and oh, so now stuff. yeah so there's a, a whole little video you can watch where it's someone asking Kelly murphy are you aware that dave batista has you tattooed on his thigh and he's like oh i did not know that also Kelly murphy looks roughly 80 years old in on all of these interviews um he's like i did not know that but good for him <laughs> You know, very much like I don't know how to respond yeah. to that. It's he's funny. got the he's got the look of someone who's really pounding the anti aging elixirs, you know, where he's like, I'm I'm working against it, but it's not working as well as I wanted to, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I am really happy for Killian Murphy that he got the role because I think he had I think he auditioned for a few things. Like I don't know if he auditioned for Batman or some some of the lead a few leading roles for Nolan, I guess. And um Anyway, so he, I think he was really excited to get um, a lead role from offer from Christopher Nolan because I don't know he just doesn't get that many leading parts. I feel like in movies, you know, but he's a really good actor. Um, he is good. Matt Damon tells a really good story about how he was he made a deal with his wife to stop take a break from acting. You know, he's like unless there's a Chris Nolan movie, and then like a week later, Christopher Nolan gave him a call and said, "Hey, would you like to be an Oppenheimer?" You know, so I it's interesting. It's a real like Avengers level cast. It's a it's insane how many like actors are in this movie. And normally, Chris Nolan pulls some pretty good people to be in his movies, but like there's so many little characters in this movie, and it's three hours long. And there's some real deep cuts. And you keep going through the movie, you're like, oh, Kenneth Branagh's in this movie. Oh, Alden. Einreich is in this movie. Robert Downey Jr. is in this movie. And just kind of keeps going, you know? Fun little history cameos, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I was a big fan of the movie. I appreciated that it was kind of about his life, but mostly about the bomb. But also, I really appreciated that they spend kind of like two hours building the bomb. And uh, then they spend like an hour dealing with like the fallout of what happened because they dropped the bomb you know well okay and so that's that is one thing that was really cool about the structure of the movie i will say so that's a good thing what do you so if you had to sum up what the movie was about what would you say it's about <clears throat> yeah i mean i think yeah it's in part about it's partly a biography of oppenheimer's life but I think really by the time you get through the final act, you kind of realize it's more about not only the history of building the atom bomb, but I feel like the finishing flourish of the movie is what it really means for us to own nuclear weapons and like for mankind to hold the power to destroy itself, you know? And I think 
the people talk about when they went to see avatar there's like the avatar effect where they felt like depressed because they saw this like beautiful world and these people living in this way that they wish they could you know and just seeing the navi and everything like sent them into a spiral and i've heard the same thing about oppenheimer where people left the theater just feeling like overwhelmed and depressed and honestly i felt that way a little bit too because like the way it goes through everything you know it's about his life a little bit it's about the manhattan project for a lot of it and then as soon as they drop the bomb it's like instant regret from all these people you know and it's like they were doing it for a purpose to end the war and the war is over but then you know and you start dealing with like oppenheimer's career falling apart and then his rivalry with straws and then that whole back and forth and kind of oppenheimer finishes his life but they kind of go back to some of those conversations he had with Einstein and they go back to that one where he's like, you know, when I told you that we were worried we might start a chain reaction that would end the world. He's like, well, I, I think we did. And then it shows like the world on fire and, you know, like, I don't know. It was a cool way to tie the movie together, but it was like, I don't know, for people of like our generation, I feel like older people who grew up during World War II saw the effects of that and they saw the cold war with russia and like it's you know and like it's most intense form and that was like always at the on their mind like the but you know me growing up i didn't think much about nuclear weapons and like the terrorism thing with 9-11 and the iraq and afghanistan wars and stuff but like i don't know it hit me in a really interesting way where i was like man it is crazy to think that we've got these people that not only have nuclear bombs but also now all the superpowers of the world are racing to get more advanced weaponry. And it's just like scary and a little depressing to think about just to come to terms with like, why do we have, <laughs> why do we have this firepower and what good does it do for anyone? Unless you believe that the country that has them is going to use them to keep other people in check, but also pff, you own something that could destroy the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like growing up at least, for like our generation, right? I think the equivalent, if you were to think about like, what would it be like for the, like the boomers growing up with the nukes being a threat? It'd be kind of like hearing about like chemical weapons and like anthrax being used and stuff. That was like, I think the what we got instead mm -hmm. where it's like, all right, by the time we were came along, it was like everyone who's going to realistically have nukes has already got them. You know, mm -hmm. we're more worried about somebody dropping, you know, like a, a vial that can take out most of the country with a, a chemical thing. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of like what it was like. They had chemical weapons back then, but now it's like, that's the whole thing. Like it's the, the, it kicked off like a new level of the arms race. Well, I mean, so I would say, back to my original question right i would say if you were to like go especially with how like you know haughty and like you know sniffing his own farts i'm sure that chris nolan is uh that the it really seems like it breaks down oppenheimer's legacy right because you can see like mm. i don't know if you remember growing up it was very divided like you had newer scientific textbooks and like sources and stuff who revered him and said that he regretted it and were actively worked to contain nuclear weapons. And then you had older ones that are like, no, no, he's like, he was all about the bomb. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. It's like, 
the, you know, com- you know, having almost acting like he had the attitude of the, the guy who invented the AK 47. He's like, I just invented a machine that works really well. It's up to people who use it, how they mm-hmm. use it. It's not my fault. Which I got to say, like, probably the healthiest way you can look at any of this stuff if you're in that position is the way that that guy views it is like, it's not my fault that people kill each other with my invention. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like, I'm sure different for Oppenheimer being that there were other scientists like Einstein who refused to do it before him, you know, like where they were like, mm-hmm. build the bomb. And then other guys said no. And he said, all right, fine. But, um, I also do think it's interesting, like the amount of political stuff I found very interesting, like the the communism and like how, you know, you see like especially nowadays, there's so much unionization movement and so much more push towards socialism. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. back then, it's like that was a a dangerous thing to talk about, you know, even. Yeah, and it quickly became a career ender by the end yeah. of World War Two. It was like, all right. We're not really friends with the Russians, so if you're affiliated with their politics in any way, then all these people got blacklisted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did a good job kind of telling his biography a bit. I also liked that it showed all of his flaws because, you know, sometimes you get these history movies and they paint, and kind of like the theory of everything, where it's like, hey, look, look at how great this person was and look at their struggles and look at what they overcame. And that is a fine way to do a biopic. But with oh, you someone mean a biopic, oh, gosh. <laughs> continue what were you saying? But with someone like Oppenheimer, it was really cool to see, you know you see him almost poison a professor, and you see him as a philanderer, and you you know you see all of his um, mistakes as well, and you're like, oh, he's a brilliant person, and sometimes that comes with a cost, right? If you're so good at one thing, sometimes you know other things suffer. So I liked that, and um. Yeah, because I know some people that were like, I'm not going to see a movie that glorifies the guy who invented the atom bomb. You're like, I mean, right, it's a movie about him, so in that way it glorifies him, but I really don't think it paints him in a way where you're like, man, he was the man. It's like, no, I, he was, I really feel like the movie by the end is like, well, he was the right guy for the job, and he was a brilliant scientist, but that's as far as it goes, because there's even, you know, rewatching it, I just, yeah, the detail of the movie is really fantastic, and I thought they just kind of, as far as the runtime goes, they fit in like, so much into it but um you know i like that there's a point in the movie where oppenheimer is like yeah you didn't pick me talking to matt damon's characters like you didn't pick me for this project because i was the only one that could do it you picked me because because of my speckled past and because you knew that you had those cards to play over me so that i would have to play fair with you you know kind of a thing and so just interesting all the politics that go you know not just like him with the other scientists him with Louis Strauss and stuff, but also him with the military where it's like, hey, this guy's the right guy to do it, but also he just fits the profile where it's like, hey, I'll get the credit for this as well. You know, I thought I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. And I mean you can also like go back right where you have all these other scientists, but none of those all of those guys, you know, they seem like they were a lot of the guys who were just as brilliant as him or who probably could have done it too also seemed like they had a much harder job like getting any kind of following or popularity so you know like there was they kind of they talked about that aspect too where he almost developed like a cult of around him to Mm -hmm. you know especially with los alamos and you know all those scientists where these people almost like worshipped him he could do no wrong and how uh 
you know, there were guys who dissented who, you know, kind of showed that even the most brilliant of these guys are, were pretty replaceable, but you know, would someone like, even someone like Einstein have been able to get that amount of intellectuals to agree to work on this secret, uh, government project, um, Mm -hmm. and like move their families out to the desert and, and work on the bomb and all that. I do think it's funny how they glossed over like most of those guys died horrific deaths of radiation poisoning. Just oh, yeah. melted from the inside out, you know? And like when mm-hmm. they tested the first bomb, I'm pretty sure like a bunch of people went blind because they just stared at the explosion and were way too close to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was when they were getting to that point, I was talking to Tiffany, I was like, I wonder if they're gonna show somebody get their eyes burned out, which I'm pretty sure happened. But mm-hmm. no, they were like passing out their little <laughs> their little glass things and i'm like the welder's glass yeah i'm like man spring for the spring for the shield you know like when they're just passing out the pain of glass yeah i was like you trying to tell me this like you know the biggest military project ever they can't spring for full welder's masks mm-hmm. they're just getting the pain to hold in front of their face you know and the one guy out there putting on sunscreen and the other guy's like yeah. no no the glass it blocks it and it's like no it did not block <laughs> it yeah it did not <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, no, it was. Well, that scene was one that I appreciated more every time I watched it. Um, <laughs> first off, because I was ready for the giant jump scare when they finally play the audio of the bomb going off. And second, um, yeah, just them setting up that scene. You know, they run through it and they're like, okay, there's observation group one, two, and three, and one's this close, one's that close, one's far away, and they go through the whole thing. And so when I finally when i watched it again i was like oh they show what they're doing is they're showing each group's reaction that's further away from the bomb every time so the bomb explodes and they show the people at the first observation area then they show the people at the second and the third you know so they do the explosion three times but from each perspective mm-hmm. um i don't know just it was really well thought out and just the design of the movie i know that it um some of the trivia i saw talked about how they they shifted the budget at one point and they were like we had more locations to shoot at and stuff. And finally we just decided, you know what, we're going to put all the budget into production design. So we're going to have fewer locations, but we're really going to let the production designers like make these sets and buildings look great for everything we have to put together, which I thought really showed up on screen, like um, great costumes and yeah, just really cool architecture of the buildings they were in and, and the props and everything. I saw someone when I went to LA to see the movie, they had some of the, Oppenheimer costumes up um, at display and there was someone who came dressed as Oppenheimer standing next to the Oppenheimer costume taking a picture dressed in the exact same costume it was kind of fun it's fun you don't get that kind of stuff not in LA I mean so many people out stuff. here cosplaying you know movies yeah Nobody. pretty funny uh, yeah I mean but I don't know oh no go keep going no, uh, no, I was going to say the other thing that I I didn't realize this until I looked at some trivia and then rewatching it was really interesting. But I noticed the use of switching back and forth from color to black and white. I was like, OK, so some of these are in the past and some are present and future. And then I realized that is not that is not what they're doing. Um, the color scenes are from Oppenheimer's perspective and the black and white scenes are from Louis Strauss's perspective, which is Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Mm-hmm. And when I learned that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense because they show the same scene multiple times. 
and they'll show it black and white and they'll show it in color. And then by the end, when you have Strauss giving his whole, you know, when he's about to lose his confirmation hearing, then he's going through it all. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's why this stuff's in black and white because it's his perspective. So even that too, like it's not just a biography of Oppenheimer or the Manhattan Project or the fallout of the bomb. It's also about Louis Strauss and his relationship to Oppenheimer. Like they just, they cover so much in the movie, but I don't know. I think Chris Nolan's a great writer. I think his last movie or two hasn't showcased it quite as well as it could have. Like, you know, some of the scripts like Memento and Inception and Interstellar have been really excellent. This was a really awesome script, but in a totally different context, being such like a history movie. Um, And, you know, while Dunkirk was history movie as well, it was also like a war film, you know? So to have this one that's like, it's so dialogue heavy and there's so many characters, but I thought it was so well put together and I I really enjoyed... um, seeing it and i was surprised at how rewatchable it was which is the case of a lot of chris nolan movies but i thought he really came together you know i just thought it was a really impressive um writing and directing performance from chris nolan yeah i mean i thought i liked it a lot i did think it almost felt like you know you're talking about it jumping around uh when i saw that it was three hours i was like oh man this is gonna be it's gonna be a slog i'm sure but it feels like you're watching, like it does feel like there's three distinct kind of timelines that you're following. And so it almost feels mm-hmm. like you're watching three movies that it's interweaving, you know, like, so none of them it sits on for too long. Also, I did think it was funny, like them, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, the kind of exploring the, the fact that Oppenheimer and a lot of these guys were theoretical physicists, meaning that Oppenheimer isn't necessarily very good at math. Mm-hmm. He just is very good at like wrapping his, your whole thing is you're really good at understanding the laws of physics and wrapping your mind around how you can bend and break them and how they can apply to different things. And then you take like a mathematician that can prove it mathematically and you get an engineer that can prove it in a real world experiment, you know, and how like, he had to work with those guys where he'd be like, well, this is impossible. The math shows it's not possible. An engineer coming in and being like, well, I just did it in the other room. So obviously it's possible, mm-hmm. you know, and like playing with that kind of, uh, you know, like relationship that they, you know, cause like their whole, I think beyond, that's why I think the movie really is about the legacy of Oppenheimer and his influence on the scientific community, because that whole relationship of, you know, you take a theoretical physicist, he can come up with a new thing. You have a mathematician who can prove it mathematically and the engineers that can prove it physically. And having them all work together on the same projects was something that I think previous to like Los Alamos and Manhattan Project and stuff wasn't as common. And this kind of brought about a new, this time period, maybe not just the the Manhattan Project, right? But this whole time period brought about a lot more of those interweaving together and um them working more and pushing science forward a lot faster you know because i mean you see like how much faster technology progressed going forward from that point you know just because of that change of uh paradigm like dynamic and the them working on new stuff mm-hmm. um and then, you know, just like, like you said, like all of the, like earlier, like all the politics stuff and how, 
that interacts and like how some people would it would work with them, other people wouldn't. But um and then I one moment I liked actually a lot, right? Was when it was towards the beginning of Los Alamos being put together, right? And he's dressed up in his military uniform. And he's talking to I can't remember the scientist guy's name, but it's the one that he kind of interacted mm-hmm. with the longest. The other guy that yeah. was from New York. And uh you know, he tells them, like, don't be who they want you to be. Be, you know, be you. That's who they mm-hmm. wanted. That's who they need. Be be you. And he mm-hmm. takes off and then it shows him walking. Like, the iconic Oppenheimer look that, you know, they every picture of him is People always... cosplay as? Yeah. Like him with his yeah. hat and, you know, walking down the streets of, of Los Alamos. And I was like, oh, yeah, they did it. They nailed it. And I thought that was, like, so perfectly done. And I was like, I never thought I'd be hyped for a reveal of Robert Oppenheimer's <laughs> like yeah. iconic like outfit, but they uh-huh. nailed it. I thought, you know, and you know, like I thought they did a good job of that thing where they kind of seem to gloss over it now, where they're like, ah, oh, you know, they they did or they didn't, but you know, there were guys there that were taking bets. Like it was a slim chance, but they were like, maybe we're gonna ignite the atmosphere when we do that. Mm-hmm. you know, and the fear that some of them had, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, Josh, he was real scared. You know, I don't know what Drake, how Drake felt about it, but Josh, he was scared. About it. Drake was working for the uh, Russians. I think. Oh, he was on the Russian was. side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, I don't know. It just, it covered so much ground, but it did it so well. Um, I think, oh, I really like, so the, it's based on a, book called american prometheus and i think did they start the movie with the with the a little blurb about the prometheus thing but i think it really informs kind of the topic of the movie too because um according to the dictionary prometheus right he's a titan who was chained and tortured by zeus for stealing fire from heaven and giving it to mankind yeah he has and a so bird that's kind of liver the movie in a back. nutshell right it's like okay this guy you know, yeah. gave men this godlike power, but like that comes mm-hmm. at a price and with consequences. So, yeah, yeah, just a really, I don't know. I thought it was just a, just a great script. I thought they nailed it. and just the execution of it all, showing it in black and white and showing it in color and being able to balance so many topics in one movie. I just felt it was very informative, but also like rewatchable. And you know, it's not there aren't a lot of biopics that I ever want to rewatch, you know, but this was one of them. I was like, I was happy to see this three times. And, you know, I'd, I might see it a fourth sometime if I ever, if I could ever manage to see it in OLED, you know, if only oh. I had the technology, yeah. but one day, maybe um, one thing I really liked to, and I talked, I was like, so I saw this in LA with my sister and we were talking about it a little bit. Um, but Chris Nolan doesn't use a lot of nudity in his movies hardly if ever. Um, so it was interesting that he chose to do that in this movie, but I actually think it was really, um, really effective and told a really interesting story because Oppenheimer hooks up with Florence Pugh's character and she's communist and that's a whole thing, but they show them together and she has him read Hindu poetry. And that's where he, um, Gosh, what's that quote he gives? I'm but anyway, death destroyer. Oh, I'm yeah, right. Which is a whole. It was a little controversial for some people who are religious that live in India, but it's fine. 
And anyway, so he says that quote, but that's also what he says when they trigger the bomb, the test, the Trinity test. So that was kind of, it was an interesting tie-in, but then also they show them later because he goes and meets up with her during the Manhattan Project, and that becomes a whole ordeal, right? Because she's a known communist. It's like, okay, well, are you sharing secrets with the Russians? And it shows them naked talking to each other, and that shows an important fact of the story, right? It's like, okay, are you wired? No, neither am I. You know, like the precaution they had to take, but it also implies that, right, the he continued his affair and they show it one last time when he's reading his testimony of the account of what happened and his wife is there in the room and they show he's reading his testimony and now he's naked and Florence Pugh is on top of him and it's it shows like what it what it feels like for Emily Blunt his wife to be in the room hearing him recount the tale of his affair you know so um, I don't know, it's just, it's just not something you see him do a lot, but I thought it was really, really good cinematic storytelling, um, uh, just the way he did it. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Very, you know, uh, you t- the taste. Did you see it come in the first nice. time? That's the question. The nudity? Yeah. No, I was like, How about oh, the second time? You know? uh, the second time, yes. Third time, what no. about the third time? Third you know? time, no. Third time <laughs> got me by surprise. That's, a, that's it's the one, two, three punch. You know, you never see yeah. it coming. It's the Here's jab, the jab, thing. hook. You know, what I thought was really funny though was especially when they were both sitting there talking naked to each other when it was mm-hmm. Florence Pugh sitting there, and she's Florence Pugh. You know, she's a beautiful woman, and then it's Killian Murphy, and I'm like, oh, Killian, you look like you're. <laughs> Just oh, great that's, that skin there is chair. a little loose on that on that meat, you know. And uh, yeah, it's just really yeah. funny. Just you know, it is just funny, you know. Like he's just like mm, you're just a dude. <laughs> like, yeah. you're just some dude. I mean, the end of the Oppenheimer must have had some game, you know. It, you don't hear about oh, yeah. a lot of scientists throughout here like philandering, you know. You know they're out here. Impressive. They're doing it, you know. But yeah. Um. Oh, gosh, I had something to say about that oh. about Killian Murphy's about him delicious flabby skin nah i don't remember whatever so supple you know so supple you know they uh yeah i will say this so like you know let's get into it cody yeah you know let's get into it because they do they have the whole thing right where they spend a lot of time talking about they spend so much time racing to make the bomb right because they're like oh well hitler's trying to make a bomb and that's the whole thing that's the whole mm-hmm. focus, right? Is we gotta make the bomb before Hitler does. Which let's talk about that. Funniest thing in the world, right? Hitler being like, let's stop funding atomic research. Let's start funding ghost hunters. <laughs> if nothing else yeah. proves that that man went nuts because of the his meth addiction, I feel like that shows it right there. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like everybody agrees that he went nuts. With some exception, yeah. some people don't agree with that. But, I, you know, do we care about what those people think? I think not, Cody. Can Cody, look at me. Look at me, you blonde, mm. blonde hair, blue eyed boy. Can you I mean, agree, right? Hitler, crazy we guy. That he died. You know, we don't know. <laughs> He's he in the submarine kill. under the ice. That's, all. That's why we yeah. got to melt the ice caps to find uh-huh. Hitler. Oh, so the other thing understand. I was going to say, and then Florence Pugh's character dies, which is sad, you know, and yeah. it's a result of, most likely a result of him speaking with her, right? And so then the CIA kicks, you know, 
picture. Oh, Casey Affleck. That was the other little cameo where you're like, hold on, Casey Affleck's in this movie. You know, he shows up and he's like the, you know, the voyeuristic, super scary, nerdy military police guy who's like, I've been watching you, bro. It's weird. Tell me your secrets. You know, that guy. Oh, yeah. That was like a whole, yeah. And the that Polka Dot Man storyline going too. Polka Dot Man was there too. You know? Who was Jason Schwartzman? Is that Jason Schwartzman? Is that who it is? Yeah. He's the. Who are you talking about, Polka Dot Man? Uh, the Polka Dot Man is the, you know, the guy from Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was, think- I was thinking of the Dot guy from the Spider Man yeah. movie, not yeah, the yeah. Poke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got yeah. me back on track. Um, Oh man, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, but they uh, I had a I had like a small critique, and I don't remember what it was, but it was something stupid. Oh, okay, well, let me, I'll keep I'll was. keep going on this thing, right? So the whole thing, right? Like they talk about the whole thing is them trying to get the bomb before the Nazis, because you know the Nazis—that's what everybody cared about back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, well, the Nazis—they're they lost. So what are we? Mm-hmm. What, what about now? And it's like, well, there's the Japanese over here still fighting. Because then it's because I do think it it, it is a good show, uh, like a a good job of showing that like a lot of people at the time and even nowadays, right? They're like, well, the Japanese are basically beat. Why are mm-hmm. we using this on them? But here's the thing. OK. We'll never know, honestly, you know, that's the that's the reality of it, right? That we'll never know how many people would have died had there been a land invasion of the main islands of Japan. Mm-hmm. So there's no way of ever really knowing if less people died because they dropped the nukes. But I never understand the people who are like, they were basically beaten when a nuke was dropped on Japan and they said, bring it nerds. And then we had to drop a second one for them to be like, all right, fine. That's they, they said they, they didn't surrender after one. They they dropped another one, which I do think it's funny, like them, why they wanted at least two, you know, like them, like, hey, Mm -hmm. we have to be able to drop one to show them we can do it. We need a second one to show them we can keep doing it. Yep. And the like why they pushed so hard for two bombs to the point that both those bombs were experimental. They had no idea. Like one of them was way bigger than the other one. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like the one that Nagasaki got was way bigger of an explosion because they were different types of bombs. Yeah. Different types of explosives in there. And, and you can uh, also det right. You can detonate it on impact or above the yeah. ground too. Um, yeah. There were, there were just, there were a lot of details I really enjoyed. Like the whole, the whole like bureaucratic trial of Oppenheimer is mm-hmm. interesting because he's sitting in that room giving testimony day after day after day and you see the defense guy being like, can we get these evidence? He's like, no, they're classified. This isn't a trial. This is just an administrative hearing, you know, kind of a thing. And they keep going back and forth. And that's it's kind of grueling to go through. But then at the end of the movie, you see the exact reverse thing happen with Straws because he's at his confirmation hearing. And he ends up getting basically put on trial. But it's also like, hey, it's, it's not a trial. This is just a confirmation hearing, you know, like they, you know, they're just proving what they want to prove but it's not a court of law. There's no, you know, there aren't these like set rules you have to follow. So I I thought that was really interesting for them to bring it around. And 
um, Strauss talks about like, right, Oppenheimer wants all the glory, but none of the guilt. And he wants to be remembered for Trinity test and not for Nagasaki or Hiroshima. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting to see. They kind of portray Oppenheimer playing the long game a little bit where he's like, I don't know, him kind of trying to play his cards a little bit. Well, I think his career, um, the vibe I got right was that Oppenheimer, he just, they tried to play it as though he did what he was supposed to. And it was the, the, you know, what ended up happening, right. Uh, with Strauss was all these people who believed in Oppenheimer and knew the truth of what happened and what Strauss did kind of coming back mm-hmm. to bite Strauss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily, and like, I know, you know, the Einstein thing, you know, he kind of told him like, you can play their game or you could try to do this, but at the, just know that, None of that's for you. It's just like these awards they'll give you. They're going to drag your name through the mud and then they'll give you an award and say that it's for you, but it's just to make themselves feel better. Mm, you know? Yeah. And like you see that that's like the last shot of the movie is him as an old man receiving like the presidential medal or something like that, you know, like this prestigious mm-hmm. award. And it's like, yeah, but like you ruined his life. you know? Yeah. Like he built you a bomb and you ruined his life and then you're like, but you did a good job with the bomb. And like he said he wants to be remembered for Trinity test, but not Hiroshima. And then he like goes on and then someone is like, and Nagasaki, you know, like showing that Strauss mm-hmm. also doesn't care about yeah the bomb. He also, he just wants him to be like, like he doesn't, he's care. in a, he's in a feud with Oppenheimer too, because right. Oppenheimer embarrassed him trying to yeah. defend isotopes and you know, the whole thing that was interesting. And, I don't know. I also liked the way they showed all the, the scientists and we talked about it a little bit, right? They're like, why are we still working on this bomb? Because the Nazis are done, you know? And they talk about it a few times. It's like, just because we built this bomb doesn't mean we have the right to decide how to use it, you know? And that's what's so interesting about it is, you know, the scientists are like doing this research and they make the point. And it's like, what's the one advantage we have over the Germans? It is anti-Semitism. They refuse to work with all these Jewish scientists and those people are here in the States now and we can get them to work for us. And so that's, and you see a lot of, you know, people portraying Jewish scientists that work on the bomb and just interesting to see the scientists, they're conflicted as well. Even before they finish it, they're like, Hey, shouldn't we have a say in how our work is used? And they're like, it's not, you know, we're not at Stanford (laughs) at a science department. This is, this is a military project and this is, you know, they're going to do whatever they want with it, you know? So yeah, it just, interesting you know they they did it for the right reason but also once you build this thing you know you can't you can't put the cat back in the bag i think that's kind of the point of the movie as well is okay we have nuclear weapons now and it it makes you feel a little bit helpless it's like yeah there are other people and people with other motives and politicians and people in power and militaries that are going to do what they want to do with all this power yeah and i mean like it kind of like you know it's interesting right that they talk about the the nuclear weapons and like how it shows other countries getting them as it goes forward in time, you know, through the Cold War, mm-hmm. and um, them trying to, you know, limit the amount of countries that have it. But like, you know, I mean, you know, I've talked to you a bunch. Like, the more and more you dig into like the world's militaries, right? The more you see like really no country in the world. Like people all the time are like America's military soft, but it's like. The, just more bullets 
for the like their capability just has more bullets more rockets more boats like you know like i saw a thing where they were like the chinese navy has way more ships and it's like yeah but if we just throw a bunch of rubber ducks in the ocean and said those were all u.s navy ships we could surpass them you know like yeah it's like we have more battleships or like battleships like when you're looking at like they have like all these patrol boats that are like three person crews and we've got like six super carriers it's it's laughable that most other co- any other country could go against the U.S. But then you think about like, well, then the U.S. could just bully any of them. But China has nukes that really levels the playing field. So mm-hmm. you think on the one hand, well, whether you like or hate China, Russia, any of these other big countries, you know, without nukes, the U.S. would just bully every other country into doing whatever we wanted. Nukes do level the playing field. So they have a positive effect on one hand, depending on where, how you look at it. In that other countries can have as much of a say as any other country as long as you have these world-ending weapons. But on the other hand, we're all just sitting here pointing nukes at each other, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm glad that we can have a civil discussion because we both have a gun pointed at each other's head. But it would be cool if we didn't need the guns pointed at each other's heads. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, so it's, it. I think even today that you could you could sit down and have like a a debate on well is it good or bad that there's so many nukes in the world because I feel like you know there's so many that it's like there's none but at the same time the more there is the more likely that they'll get used again you know I remember seeing uh, like a whole thing on back when the Cuban Missile Crisis you know people assumed that it was the guys in Russia that were in control of those nukes but it wasn't mm-hmm. it was the guys that were there in cuba that were in control of it mm-hmm. so they would have absolutely been used had like something kicked off there and so that could have been bad they could have nuked like miami or something you know <laughs> and that would have been bad cody but like at a certain point you know is it well, it's just another weapon. You know, I, there were some guys that talked about it like that. Like, it's just another weapon. It's just a bigger gun. It's no different than any other military advancement. And then well, him trying to talk about it too. Like in the war with Japan, it's like, yeah, the firebombings killed more people than oh, way more atom bombs did, you know? So it's, just, it's interesting where it's like, you know, there are, pl- there's a plethora of ways to kill people. And the U S has plenty of other firepower. It doesn't have to be nukes that are the thing, but it is, just that i love the analogy the movie uses right because they were like oh is this chain reaction is the explosion never going to stop right it connects the atmosphere and that's that's kind of the thing is the chain reaction of everyone having nukes is like okay are you ever going to make the mistake and ignite the atmosphere do you ever know for a fact that you're not going to ignite the atmosphere and when you have nukes you run that risk of like is it is that going to set off where everybody you know someone goes crazy or something happens and these weapons do start to get fired and it's like all of a sudden yeah you know that's that is something where it's like you know they like so in the video i was telling you about right where you're talking about china and the u.s what would happen if they went to war right but it was much more realistic one of the things that the guy talks about was well you know does china attack pearl harbor if they go to war with the u.s because if they just attack the Pacific bases in other countries, that's one kind of level of warfare. You attack Pearl Harbor, you attack Hawaii, 
you're attacking U.S. soil. That's a lev- different level of warfare. Right. Now you you're know? not dealing with a proxy war, war. You're dealing with a direct war. Well, even like the whole idea was it's direct conflict. It's U.S. Hmm. military versus Chinese military. But, but it's like... The response is different versus yeah. a attack on a base versus an attack on U.S. soil. Yeah. Right. And so they, he talks about that and like, well, okay, so when, you know, when would nuke, like, would they use nukes? And it's like, well, probably not. No one wants to, no one's opening Salvo as nukes unless you know you're going to lose immediately. And then it's like, well, the only hope is to knock them out first. But like you said, you launch one nuke, you're effectively launching all of the nukes, mm-hmm. you know? But, yeah. you know, you're talking about igniting the end. I, I paused the movie at one point to tell Tiffany, about my favorite little fun fact about nuclear, the Cold War nuclear weapons test, which is a little fun nugget called the Czar bomb. <laughs> this thing's fun. You ever heard of this boy? This big boy? So this is the largest man-made explosion ever. There's the Soviets made a bomb. They made a nuke. I thought that was um, James Bond movie did that. No, no. Just kidding. Just kidding. Here we go. So here's what it is, Cody. They ha- They made a bomb. It's like a 100 megaton no, 1,000 megaton, 100 megaton uh, explosive that they could be, which they're like, it's too big. That's too big. That's too big. There's nowhere we can detonate it without messing stuff up. So they made it half-sized. And they dropped it up in, you know, north north of Russia where they test things, mm-hmm. tested those things. And it was so big that it, like, broke windows in Finland <laughs> And it was like bomb went off. All of the alarms went off. Everybody called them. So they called Russia. They're like, what the heck was that? They're like, okay, so let's, uh, maybe we should make some rules about where we could test these. Russia initiated it. They're like, maybe let's make rules about this. That's how big this bomb was. And I love that it's so big that the whole world was like, all right, we need to set some ground rules here. Because <laughs> yeah, what the heck was that? We heard this explosion in Canada, man. You know, like it was so enormous. It was, I love that they, these guys were like, we're going to ignite the atmosphere with their like four uh, kiloton or like, what was it again? What was the, they said it was Uh, like kiloton explosives. And then this one's like Mm -hmm. 50 megatons. And they're like, all right, they need some rules to this. (laughs) We need to maybe stop testing above ground. We're going to destroy the world. It's at some point we're going to ignite the atmosphere. And uh, tests on the moon, you know, what what bad could happen? You know, no one lives there. But there you go. You know, let's blow up the moon. That's what I propose. <laughs> I think there, there I was mean, something. I know there's like, that's how crazy they did get, you know, like they talked about all this stuff, but they did talk about like, okay, what if we cracked the moon to get back at Russia? And like some scientists were like, that's so <laughs> dumb. No, but we oh, could man. though. Right. And they're like, uh, probably not. So it is interesting. The the insanity that they got to with that these guys kind of saw coming, you know, when he said like we did, maybe we did start the chain reaction that ends the world. Yeah. Where like the types of weapons and the scale of warfare that are kind of thought of nowadays, there's no going back, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I have the existential dread at the end of the movie and, um, I just thought it was really well done. This one's like sitting right seen 46 movies this year and it's sitting at number three but like i'm thinking about bumping it up it's right there it was i really liked it i liked it a lot 
Yeah. I Anything like... else to say? I can never think of my criticism. It was a I... good one. Mm-hmm. I liked the... I think... I do think Einstein was a bigger... Um, opponent of the nuclear weapons hmm. than they depict him as in this movie. Yeah. But I do like the way that they depicted him, which is probably more how he spoke with other scientists like Oppenheimer, which is like, just like, I feel really sorry for you being in this position and like, you know, kind of being faced with this and like knowing that this could happen and knowing this and knowing that like, well, if you don't build it, there's a chance that someone way worse that will use it will mm-hmm. build it. Um, you know, and then through to I don't know if they showed Einstein after they dropped the bombs in uh, in Japan. Um, I don't know if I've told you this before, but like I used to know a couple guys who were literally like on troop transports on their way to invade Japan. Like they were going to be part of the first wave of invasion like hitting the beaches D-Day style. Oh. They're the only guys that I've ever talked to that are 100% like, yup, that was the right decision to drop the bomb. <laughs> they were real happy yeah. they dropped the bomb because they were basically like, they talked, they were like kids, you know, and they were sitting there and they were, the guys that they were talking to that were more experienced soldiers from Europe mm-hmm. were not shy about like, yeah, no, you're going to die. Like mm-hmm. you're not surviving this. And so I do think it's interesting, like yeah. their perspective, right? Because I like how they they do it here, where there's like I think there's even a scene where Oppenheimer says, "There's no way to know." Like, you know, all of these islands were basically beaten, and it took months to take them all, you know, and tons mm-hmm. of death. But there's a chance we could have landed on the mainland, and everybody would have been so happy that it's over that it would have just been like, "All right, throw your hands up, it's over," you know. Well, it's it's interesting. Like we'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know. I've I've seen a couple Japanese movies this year that deal with some World War II stuff that are interesting, where they were just like relieved to have the war over. But um, I've also heard some really interesting stuff. There was like a this was in like the fifties or sixties, but one of the guys who like was the pioneer of like the firebombing and you know a lot of the aerial strategy. I forget the name of the general, but he was a big deal, and he's the one that what's his name is based off of in the Doctor Strange Love, but. Anyway, like he got like an award from Japan for like thanks for ending the war, and it's like this dude bombed you. <laughs> like it just yeah. the the Japanese perspective is very different, but they also have a very different culture. But there are a lot of people that were relieved to have that government kind of ousted and enter a new era of the country and just put World War Two behind him. Like I mean, I'm not saying not justifying anything, but I think uh, a lot of people are glad that war ended. You know. Yeah, I mean, like, those guys, they would tell stories about, like, landing, expecting, because, you know, the European people, there were lots of Germans who were bitter, you know, about it. They thought mm-hmm. the Germans should have won and stuff, so that's what they were expecting. And then they would have, like, grandmas come up and kiss them and thank them for coming and, like, occupying their country to just end the war and just have it over yeah. with because they don't, because, like, Japan had been at war for a long time. And they were just yeah. over it. So that's, I think, the thing. Like, I think what you see with Japan, right, being so different is not just that. You know, like, it's because all the people that held that ideal of, like, the samurai, like, and that feudal Japanese, like, imperialist stuff, like, mm-hmm. most of them died. Yeah. Right? But also those mm-hmm. people that fought to the death, right, and, like, would come out strapped with grenades and stuff. 
were told that Americans would torture them and like mm-hmm. make it do things to you so that your soul wouldn't yeah. go to heaven and things like War that. Propaganda's like, no joke, dude. Yeah, like they thought yeah. it. So that was the thing. You'd have to convince these people, like, no, we're we're not going to torture you. We swear. Mm-hmm. But like the people that they were grew up trusting their whole life were like, no, no, these are monsters, you know. And then, yeah. so you know, it's it's hard to. But I do think the movie yeah. this is like one of the best examples. I think where they like kind of went into that but at the same time you know like you said they he's like it's not our decision it's those it's the guys mm-hmm. the generals and the politicians that's their decision yeah. well even they even rail on a little bit in the trial where they're like oh so you were just in there picking target sites but you have remorse about it and he's like i was just there to give my perspective and it's even interesting too like the one general who's helping pick the site where they can drop the bomb is they're like won't do here because i honeymooned here and you're like man, this is crazy. There's people in a room that just make those decisions. But yeah. I, I liked the nuance of the movie. And I think it's about a release in Japan, which was also kind of a controversial thing where they're like, are we going to, you know, is people going to be cool with this. But I think um, I'm really impressed with the movie. Yeah. I loved it. I'd recommend it. Are you ready to give it a grade? Yeah, I think I think I'm ready. Are you ready? I mean, you already know my grade. You know, that's the thing. You're gonna out here give it like a D minus or something dumb. This aren't guy you? is a certified Cody's Corner A plus. It has to be. There's no other answer. What are you gonna give it? I mean, it's a historical movie. It's about World War II. <laughs> you know, I read books about this stuff growing up. Cool. So you know, I like it. I like dropping nuclear weapons on other countries, Cody. So it's A plus for me. Tiffany liked their house when they went moved to Los Alamos. So it's an A plus from Tiffany. All right. Bailey didn't see it, but I'm sure she would have given it a solid B minus. Well, want to thank everyone for listening. Share us, review us, worship us, revere us. And until next time, watch movies. And have opinions. Tyler, there's no time. My baby needs a banky. There's no time for a little after thing, all right? I know you want it. You can't have it. Baby, look, Cody, all I was going to say, right, you've seen all these people online. Everybody, there's strife in all these areas of the country, all over the world, right? I think some people got the right idea. What fixed it last time the world was in turmoil? Nuke Japan. That's the solution. (laughs) Stop.